Um, all right. But this morning, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Michael Slayton, uh, with us this morning. I've been on uh, Michael for weeks now to get on his count. He is a very tough man to book. I'm not going to lie. And sometimes he responds. Sometimes he does not. You know, all those kind of things. But um, uh, Michael's here with us. Michael uh, does a lot of different things. And for those of us in our live audience this morning, we know there's a lot of things that Michael does behind the scenes. And a lot of us love to see uh, Michael and his wife, Jessica, up on stage with our worship team. And the creativity and the life and the energy that you guys bring is absolutely spectacular. Um, my wife and I have been able to spend time with Michael and his wife, Jessica, their two kids, Finn and Leo, as well, uh, playing mystery games. You've seen the mystery uh, board games before that you do. Uh, Michael and Jessica invited us into their world of love for, for those games. Finder Seekers. Finder Seekers was the name of it. Yeah. Uh, so, Michael, just just kick us off by saying, give us a brief history of Michael Slayton. Who, Ooh, who are you? Yeah. And maybe any kind of inflection points that are important for us to get to know you a little bit. Who am I? I've been asking that for decades. Um, okay, so I, I thank you all for having me today, by the way. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I know some of you really well. Some of you I don't know so well. I know some of your kids really well. Come close with Helen and I are big buddies at camp. Um, I, I would say maybe what you don't know, I was, I was born around here and um, grew up kind of south. I never lived in Nashville proper. I lived in the, or the Franklin. Back before Cool Springs was actually built. I remember when Cool Springs, the entire area was a giant field wow. with a like a tower in it, like a radio tower. So to our listener, and I actually looked at some analytics this morning, we've got uh, had a listener in India, one oh, wow. in Africa okay. as well. So That's we've got to them. Yeah. how they're stumbling upon this pod podcast, I do not <laughs> yeah. know. Interesting. But uh, uh, we do have some listeners all over the place. So to our listener, uh, we're in Nashville, and Cool Springs is a very developed area. Yes. Very high traffic. Uh, there's a huge mall there. There's lots of activity. And so what Michael's saying, he's referring to a spot that is unbelievably busy with uh, commerce and all kinds of different things. Yeah. Uh, and he's, of course, describing that used to be a field. Sorry, I didn't realize we had people from all over the world. That's my job to, <laughs> to keep them. Got it. Engaged. Okay. So I'll, I'll skip to the, to the more reals. Uh, I, brought, I was brought up um, in the Church of Christ. I'll put it that way. And um, was the son of a, of a preacher. A lot of people, I think, were are familiar with that story. So listen, let me give a brief history of Church of Christ. No, I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, but here's the thing that a lot of you might not know. Um, from the time that I was, I think, before I was even born, it was determined I would be going to Lipscomb. <laughs> now, the reason for that is because I happen to be the youngest grandson of Willard Collins. So Willard Collins Alumni Auditorium. <laughs> he was the president of the university when I was a child. You're the youngest and, uh, grandson of Willard Collins? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. You really? That is brand new information oh, wow. to me. Okay. Glad could be here, Wes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I want to say that that came with some really, um, some good things. Um, it also came with, as I've gotten older and kind of look, thought about life and experienced a lot of life, I realize um, it wasn't always a positive. I, I think that's a pretty familiar story with people who grow up in the church. Not, it's not always a positive experience. Mm -hmm. So as I got to college and sort of started to realize that I was, I had really no choice because I had lots of college offers and I was studying music. 
Lipscomb was not the place to go to study <laughs> classical music, although I was very lucky. There were, there were two wonderful people on the faculty um, at, the, at that time, Gerald Moore, some of you may know, and um, Jerome Reed, who is actually still there. Um, and so I was very close with the two of them. That's where I, I really kind of, you know, sharpened the teeth and sort of got going within the world of classical music. But that time also, um, I think, some disillusionment started to form with church. Um, I started to realize that I was kind of brought up in this in a protect the brand mm-hmm. mentality. Don't mess up, or you know, Willard Collins will get he will lose yeah. his job. Yeah. Don't don't do don't say anything that the family would be embarrassed by. Don't yeah. Protect the brand. Protect the brand. Um, and and I guess where it really broke for me was as I moved off to. Uh, to Houston to go to graduate school, I, I kind of got this, this thing in my head that I was realizing that I was around a lot of people who were more interested in the Church of Christ than the Christ of Church. And that's what really started to bother me. More interested, let me repeat that for our listener real quick, because that's a, that's a solid meme right there. More interested in the Church of Christ than, than the Christ that's in the church. Yeah, and I, I remember coming across, anybody ever read Blue Like Jazz? No, Rebecca has, yes. I, well, I about came 25 across. of the yeah. 72 people we've got in the live audience today <laughs> yeah. raise their hand just to our listeners so they know yeah. what's happening. So in that book, um, you know, Donald Miller talks about um, where he found Jesus was not in church. Where he found Jesus was, he called, he says, with the hippies is what he, but that was, <laughs> he's talking about the 1960s and 70s. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Mm. Um, and the disillusionment that was coming to me is as someone who had been raised protect the brand, um, I'm not, I wasn't protected. I, I went off and uh, I had a good, solid 10 years of my life that were pretty dark. Mm. Um, bad choices, you know, all kinds of things that went on during that time while I was also pursuing um, a PhD in, in music. So um, I'll, I'll jump to that for a second because some of you may not know what I do. So I, I am a, a professor at Vanderbilt. And I've been there for, this is my 22nd year. Um, so I, I teach, um, I chair the Department of Composition and Theory. So I am teaching young composers how to write music. And then I teach classroom theory, which is like notation analysis, helping them understand the pieces that they're playing, um, helping them make sense of it. Um, I also chair, I chair that department. And so I, I work on a, developing our program and our curriculum. And I'm also now um, the Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs, which loosely translates complaint department. (laughs) (laughs) But I I work with the faculty, and I kind of field all of their concerns, their ideas. I also help people through promotion and tenure and things like that, which are the general goings-on of uh, Research One University. So um, that part of my life, it's funny. People will say things like, what do you do in your real life? And they'll say that to me here, and I'm like, well, this is my real life, <laughs> my other life. Uh, so it's weird for me. I, I've been full-time at Vanderbilt for 22 years, and I came on here part-time in 2010 as then an assistant worship minister to Robin Brennan. Anybody who's been here long enough to remember Robin, and Robin and I did it for a few years, and then I became the worship minister here, but I was always part-time. Um, so it was a full-time job, 
called part-time. <laughs> I managed that for six years. And then finally, I was kind of like, uh, no moss. <laughs> um, and we hired Chris Shields to come on as, as a full-time worship minister. So I now serve with him as, as an associate worship minister here. So all to say, this has been a part-time gig for me, but, th- but this is where life really is, right? Mm-hmm. And my life at Vanderbilt is, is a work life, but it's not, it's not the real life. In that time of disillusionment um, and what I call darkness, I came to realize a couple of things. I, I remember the turnaround. I came back to Nashville for the job, actually. I never thought I would live here again. I lived in Houston for a long time. When you're in academia, you go where the jobs are. I magically ended up getting a job at Vanderbilt, which I'd never expected, and moved to Nashville for really the first time because I didn't grow up in, in the city proper. So I, I moved there, took the job, and that's when I discovered this place. Hmm. That's when Rubel Shelley was still here. Um, I guess I was, this is in 2001 or so. Got involved uh, here. But in that time, I think one of the, the things that happened um, for me, I remember when Rubel stood in the pulpit at Woodmont on the stage and held up the Bible. And he said, here's the thing. This is not holy. Mm. (laughs) Its author is holy. Mm. And we have been worshiping a book. Mm. And that's the whole, that's that, you see how it resonated with me, with the whole Church of Christ, protect the brand, Christ of Church, not worshiping the book. Worshiping the author of the book, that stuck out to me, and I also remember hearing him preach a sermon on what is my favorite passage, and what sort of I think kind of turned me around a little bit. Everybody knows it, but I'm going to read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him, nothing was made that's been made. And in him was life, which I didn't really have at that time. In him is life, I'll say. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the one that got me was the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm. Something in that um, prompted me to start getting involved in things here. I started... I remember talking to Randy Gill and um, getting involved. Randy Gill was the, fo- the worship minister back then and um, now teaches at Lipscomb. He's actually a dean also, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> dean of worship arts, is that what they call it? Creative and worship arts? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're referring to the Lipscomb experts in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Randy's a great friend of mine, and he, he helped me get involved here. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think I had a real turnaround moment, uh, a reburgeoning sort of of that. One thing I learned from Donald Miller, from my own darkness, from coming back to it, is, is something that I say to people all the time now. I believe the broken have the power. Mm. I will always believe that. I don't think the powerful people are necessarily the church leaders. They're certainly not the people who have all the answers. I, I don't find them to be the people who've never, who've never messed up. You know, I grew up with those people. Hmm. My own family's full of those people. Hmm. The perception of, I've always done it right. I've never had a problem, you know. 
the real power comes from the people who've experienced brokenness because no one speaks to brokenness like the broken. You see it every day. <laughs> Julie does. And if you haven't, uh, to our listener, if you haven't, uh, Michael just pointed out one of our live audience members, Julie, who was very recently on the podcast as well. So if you haven't heard okay. Julie's story, it was fantastic that yeah, she shared with us too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's truth. He calls us by our name. He knows it. Um, and that we are holy because we are made holy, not because we earned our way toward holiness. I have a friend, I call him my faithiest friend. Faithiest? Yes. Like he is the one of most faith? No, he is an atheist. Faithiest. <laughs> New terms on yeah, our podcast. Yeah, he, he's an atheist. And yet he is the kindest person I think I know. <laughs> and he does more good in the community than anyone that I know, mm. including self. <laughs> and so, and he's a very spiritually minded person. I think he's, I think he's Buddhist now. Mm-hmm. But he, he doesn't really believe um, in God. That's why I call him my faithiest friend. Faithiest you know, friend he he yeah. kind of walks this life. And one of the things I'm fond of saying to him is, you're holy whether you like it or not. Mm. And he kind of gets irritated with me when I say that. But it's true. Um, God makes us holy yeah. whether you like it or not. Uh, so to our listener, my, we've, got, we've got some folks in the room who are on the podcast, obviously. But uh, Michael wins the award for most prepared. He has uh, literally got an iPad of some of the questions that I sent him. Uh, ahead of time. But I, I say that to say one of the things I've recognized in you, Michael, is you, you have an unbelievable way to put so much pre-thought into things. Mm-hmm. And what you, and you see it when you, when you speak, when you articulate, even in one-on-one, there is so much thought that's coming into what you're saying and what it's going to be on the receiving end of you as well. You. And it shows, and, and I want to pivot from that a little bit, to get you to think about composing because mm. I would think that's that's a great trait to have in the amount of thought that you bring in to what's going to be on the receiving end of this. That's interesting. You do it both composing of course but you do it in your everyday life as well so just speak to that a little bit in that creative space of composing and also I know I'm asking like 600 different questions to see if you can pick one out of okay. everything that I'm saying <laughs> sure. to actually answer at some point. But, um, you know, you, you growing up in a Church of Christ home and the family, creativity may not have been the most prevalent thing that was articulated or discussed or dialogue around. How did you end up finding this composing and then how... How do you go about it? Just speak to that creative space yeah, a little bit. I'm the you. only musician in my entire family. A uh, family of how many? Uh, what? I mean, just I mean, give us a huge number. But, you know, both of both my parents and their parents and their parents. You know, yeah. There's nobody in my family, save perhaps my my dad's mother um, did have a degree in opera singing um, from the 1930s or something, like a two-year add-on degree, but she did not pursue it but she's the one that used to talk to me about it when I was a kid mm-hmm. she did she actually was the only one that kind of connected there I never really heard her sing much but um creative space wow so yeah so I am dealing with um 18 to 22 year olds 
a lot of the time and helping them kind of find themselves and how they're going to express themselves in art and in music and, and what that means. I call it percolating. Hmm. I talk to them about this a lot. The idea that you're, you're always kind of in tune with the art you're creating and like coffee percolates, you know, you're sort of just letting things percolate. You're not always literally sitting there writing down the notes, but you are always um, living it mm. and, and listening to it. I believe that music uh, speaks to you if you listen to it and you ask it the right questions. So when I'm sitting with a student and they're stuck, you know, I'm like, well, have you asked, I know you've asked me, I know you've asked yourself, have you asked it hmm. what it wants to do next? You know, my teacher, who is a student of Aaron Copeland, a uh, very famous American composer, uh, used to say, you know, the art of composing is finding the way to write to the inevitable. What's the next thing that it absolutely must happen huh. and that has to do with composing music or making art or writing a story or writing poetry it all connects um, John Cage composer John Cage said something really interesting that I tell my students sometimes he said music is always playing it's always around you um, in the wind in the trees in the laughter of children hmm. and um, in the sound of traffic it is we who turn away. That's an interesting way to think about art. It's the way I think about it. Spiritually, I liken that also. Isn't that true? I mean, you could say the same thing. God is always there. He's always present. It's we who turn away. And, and by the way, turn away, when I say that, I, I, I never mean sin. I don't mean screwing up. I don't mean doing something wrong. That, I don't think God's interested in that. I think it's about relationship. Um, you know, we turn away from, we make a choice to not be in a relationship. We don't fall out of relationship with, with the holy, you know. We are in relationship with the holy. It's we who turn away from it and, yeah. and decide to turn toward, toward it. And that's what I, when I look back at my life and I think of all the, all the stuff in my own life. When did I choose to be out of a relationship with God and when did I choose to be in a relationship with God has made a huge difference in how life goes, mm -hmm. <laughs> generally speaking. Um, yeah. Um, I, have another, I have a question in that, which, again, I love, I love the thought that you put into things and, and everything. So what I want to ask is you work with, you said you work with 18 to 22-year-olds who are trying to learn to compose, but at 18 to 22, research and literature would say they're still not even sure who they are yet right. at the same time. How, what, what's the difficulty of that? What's the fun of that? Because you've been doing it for a good while now as well. What do you love about what you do in that, in that element? And what is difficult? What is some of the most difficulties about that? Teachers, uh, professors, we are counselors. Mm -hmm. uh, we spend a lot of our time in counsel. It's, it's not really just about imparting knowledge and saying, here's some things that I know, let me tell you about them, and you write them down and regurgitate them on a test. That's such a small part yeah. of what I actually do. So I have a group of um, 14 to 16 majors in composition at any given time. We take, three or, we take three people a year. We get 90 applications for three spots every year. So who we're choosing really matters. Uh, we, we're wanting to choose people to be in sort of relationship with. It's, it's not just who writes the best little black dots on the page, you know. It's who fits our 
in our group. Yeah. So a big part of, of my world is connecting with them, getting to know them, and they are all different. I have Jewish students, I have atheist students, I have Christian students, I have all kinds of people. I, I never know what's gonna come in the door. What I find though is that um, they all are seeking something. Most of the time they're, they're seeking what you just said. They're, they're seeking who they are and they wanna know how the art that they're gonna create matters mm -hmm. and who are they going to connect with. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's a big part of it. Helping them figure out who they are, yes, artistically, but also you know, yeah. personally. And in a, in a school that, uh, um, it's not a public school, it's a private school, but still it's not a, it's not a Christian school. I am not permitted to engage with them on any sort of spiritual level, other than realness. That's how I engage them, is just being real with them mm -hmm. and honest with them. The quickest path uh, to failure is dishonesty. Mm. As a leader, as a teacher, as a friend, I mean, it's the quickest path. And uh, that's a mantra I live by. That's good. So to our sound engineer that'll be editing this, uh, you know, a working a working title here, uh, going back to uh, what you said earlier, uh, finding finding Christ in the church, finding Christ in creativity, finding Christ in whatever it is, rather than a church of Christ, and, and really seeking a brand that is worshiping the Creator and understanding the Creator, rather than a brand that worships a certain template of, of religion or something like yeah, that as right. well is fascinating. All right, let me open it up. Uh, uh, Michael's got a hard stop with us because he's got to pl go play the keys in our second service. But any questions from our live audience? Or go ahead, Lydia. How would we meet Jessica? All right, oh. so real quick, uh, let me repeat it for our listener. Okay. Uh, the question was, how'd you meet your wife, Jessica? So um, it's, it's a longer story than I'll tell, but um, I actually knew her sister before I knew her. Her sister um, is was with me in some, in some of school, and her husband was actually a friend of mine too. I knew them before I knew Jess. But I, I, when I came back from Houston, uh, strangely, this person I had known before in my life, her sister was finishing, had just finished her degree, and we both got uh, put into a theater production together. In fact, interesting little fun fact, the way we met, you remember this story? Yeah. The way Jess and I met was this, mutual friend and we didn't know each other but this mutual friend was making a little short film for a, for a film festival and he cast the two of us knowing us as separate people because um, I'd done a lot of theater she'd done a lot of theater and he cast us in this thing and we met at JJ's Market with a film crew and the first thing that we did together as knowing each other was I was proposing to her on film <laughs> in this sort of funny awkward way yeah so that's how we actually that's met. Cool. But then we were in a, we were in this uh, theater production when we started. Like, yeah, you know, got to know each other. If you haven't met Jessica, she's phenomenal. Yeah, Just, she uh, is a mathematician. She's the director of mathematics for K twelve for the entire district in Metro Schools. Yeah, that's a lot of students. Yeah, <laughs> she has a team. They develop all the math curriculum for all the schools. That's sixty schools in At Metro least. Nashville. At least, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah. and uh, she develops all the math curriculum for elementary through high school as well with her team. It's a <laughs> fairly significant job, <laughs> uh, for sure. Other questions, Adolfo? Well, I first, want to say thank you for 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 your words. They're very powerful. I feel like I'm starting to hear the music 
Mm. <laughs> Are you listening to it? Yeah. So our listener, the church that meets next door to our to our room, is really bringing it this yeah. morning. You may have even really heard can't them in the turn background. away from that. Right? That's yeah. exactly right. It's so obvious after you say that. Yeah. I really wish there's a second part to this. There going to be a second part to well, I'll check with that. I mean, it's been tough to get him on this one, but yes, I think there's a lot more we could explore with Michael for sure. I agree. Yeah, no I doubt about so. it. Adolfos are my favorite people. So one of the fun facts with Adolfo and me is Camp Sunrise every year, you'll find us at a table in the back trying everything hot that we can try. He brings hot sauces. We eat jalapenos. That's what Oh, you love spicy oh, yeah. hot food. Oh, yeah, he does too. And so Adolfo that, does a, too. Yeah, but... Um, that's one of the great joys of, of my life now is just Camp Sunrise. I've been doing it for years, and now Adolfo's our sound person. So. To our uh, listener, Camp Sunrise is our children's uh, summer camp uh, each year put on by our children's ministry, which is very, very well done for sure. All right, any other last-minute questions, thoughts? Michael, what can we be praying for our class for you and Jessica and Finn and Leo? Uh, be as specific or as general as you'd like to be. But. Yeah, I mean, I, we have a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old, so... There you go. Throw those prayers up. <laughs> uh, you know, Finn's getting to, getting close to learning how to drive and all that kind of stuff, so those, those are always prayers. He's connected here in the youth group in a wonderful way. Uh, Leo's, my, Leo's my sports guy. He's my baseball player. Finn's my dreamer, gamer. Um, but for us, I think... Uh, my life at Vanderbilt's been a little stressful lately. I'm not going to go into that. You can pray for me there. Yeah. Uh, and same for Jess. Just just balancing balancing life and, and work and all that all that stuff is is always is always something cool. to pray for. Y'all, uh, let's join me in praying for Michael as we uh, close up. Look, God, thank you so much again for the time you give us each Sunday morning. Uh, thank you for uh, individuals uh, like Michael. Uh, that you've put such a uh, almost a, a gift of thought um, in everything that they do. Uh, thank you for the talents that he's developed uh, in composing and music and just the creative space in general. Thank you for uh, the position that you've put him in to use those talents to really influence the next generation uh, of creative people uh, at Vanderbilt and things. Thank you so much for all that he and his family bring to our church here, all the things they do behind the scenes uh, in volunteering and uh, all the different uh, staff roles that, that Michael plays here as well. We do ask that you uh, give Michael and Jessica, especially towards the end of this year and, and open it up into next year, uh, a peace that surpasses all earthly understanding, all the busyness, all the uh, all the things that happen, especially all the things that are out of our control uh, with big jobs that both of them have. Uh, may you give them the opportunity and the margin to step back, have dialogue, conversation with one another, uh, to find those moments of peace and contentment, to know that you are up to good in every step of the way and all those things. Um, thank you so much for the time this morning, and it's because of Jesus that we're able to pray. Amen. Amen.